last week we had E. Galvinder, who is a, Christ, uh, um, a CWI missionary to, in Israel. Now, Egal is Jewish. He's a, he's a Messianic Jew. As, as the, those of you who were with us last week, you know that. Messianic Jew. Now, he's, he's Russian in background, but when he was a young boy, he, he moved to Israel. I had never met him prior to last Sunday. And um, it, it worked out that Egal had Monday off. And so I thought, well, I can't just let him sit in a hotel room somewhere in, in this wonderful city and not do anything with him. So we arranged to go out in, in, into London, and, and he said, I, I would like to see a castle. So the quickest thing I could come up with was the Tower of London, you, you know, because he said, you know, I want to see things with knights and armor and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know where to take him for that. So we ended up going to the Tower of London, and honestly, uh, the best part for both of us was the beef eater. Uh, I think my family and I have been there about a dozen times. Because anytime anybody comes to visit, that's where they like to go. And so much so that we actually have annual passes <laughs> to go there because it just works out. And um, the, the Yeoman Warder, the, the beef eater that we had was probably the best one that we ever ever had that I've ever seen. He was fantastic. Only problem was he didn't give us a lot of information about the history of things. He was just entertaining and funny, and he made us laugh th throughout the whole thing. But Egal, he said to me, he said, you know what? He said, the best part of this was just fellowshipping with you. And, you know, sometimes you, you, you have the blessing of meeting people that, that because of Jesus Christ, there would be no other reason why you'd be together. And it's only the Lord. And he wrote me at the end and he said, you know, I, I know that I have a brother in Christ, but better yet, I know that I have a friend. And I just wanted to let you guys know that, um, you know, Egal was such a blessing uh, last, last week in Sunday evening service that I've spoken to his missionary agency. And he's coming back about this time again next year. Now, he's going to be in the Midlands. Uh, but they said, if we can work it out, we can pop him down to you guys on a Sunday and have him spend Sunday, all day Sunday with you. I bring him up because of this. One, I've been praying for him all week. He just touched my heart so much. But this morning, I messaged him and just said to him, I was lifting him up in prayer and praying that he'd be used in a mighty, powerful way today in the services, the different churches that he'd be speaking in. He wrote back and he said, thank you, but please pray for this flu that I've caught. And so he is sick this morning with the head, chesty thing and stuff, probably just because he traveled just a week ago here to the UK. So keep him lifted up in prayer and, and ask the Lord to just use him today and strengthen him with his grace and mercy. Let's read our word this morning. We are going to find the Lord in Capernaum. And the Lord is going to be going in on, the, on a Sabbath morning into the Capernaum synagogue. Now, those of you who went with us on our trip to Israel a couple years ago, we were in Capernaum, and I believe we saw the site of the, the Capernaum synagogue. So we've actually seen where this story has, was, took place. And so that's the setting. It's on a Sabbath morning. The community is gathered they have gone into the synagogue, and this is what takes place. 
Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he entered again into the synagogue, and there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him. That's the Pharisees and all the religious leaders inside the synagogue. They watched Jesus. Whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day so that they might accuse him. And he says to the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he saith unto them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how that they might destroy him. This was the beginning of them them eventually uh, getting together with Judas and agreeing to, to, to basically have Judas sell Christ to them for the 30, 30 pieces of silver. This is that beginning. Let's pray as we look at this story. Father, I pray for your grace and, and your mercy, your kindness this morning to, to allow us to be able to enter into this text fully to understand the implications and the truths and the teaching that you have for us. Father, what a simple text, but what such a profound meaning and application to our lives as Christians this morning. I pray, Lord, for the ability to be used of you as a vessel to bring forth your truth. And I pray for our people this morning that they would be able to hear your voice within that the truth and the meaning would, would impact each and every one of us in change and growth in our life. I pray, Father, for grace this morning because that is what we are in need of. I pray, Lord, for the ability to speak. I pray, Lord, for your presence and your glory to be seen. And I pray, God, that you would be lifted up. If you would be lifted up in truth, Father, you said that your son would draw men to him. And I pray, God, that that would take place this morning. I pray, Lord, for this time that that you would have your will be done here. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'd like to do today, this morning, something a little bit different. I don't really have three points and, and an application or anything like that. What I'd like to do with you is I want you to keep your Bible open to this text. And I just simply want to walk you through this narrative. There is really only one main thought throughout the story, though many sub-points, many sub-thoughts, many things that we could take off and have a moment to look at, but the, there's only one main thought in this entire story. Though it surrounds the healing of a man, it is not actually about the healing. Like some stories when, when Christ would heal someone, there was there'd be a lot of Things written about the healing, like the woman who came up behind Jesus in the crowd. You remember, heard Christ was on, a, on his way to Jairus' home to heal his child that, that was dying, actually, who had died. And Jesus was on the way there, but on the way there, in the midst of a throng, he says, who touched me? 
and you have that story is very much about the healing, very much about the happening. This is not like that story. Though the healing is a central part of it, it's actually to tell them about something else. It's about, it's, it's something, it's about trying to wake up the blindness of religious people. See, it was concerning the people in the synagogue. Those thinking, uh, the thinking of those in the synagogue that was more interested in the actual observance of that day. All the different things that were taking place. It's really about those religious people who thought religion was more important than what this day is actually all about. See, this place takes, this scene takes place in the synagogue, most likely in Capernaum. Now, when we think of the word synagogue, what it actually means, it it means the community of Israel. It means congregation. We get our word assembly from it in the Greek. But synagogue just simply means the, the community of Israel congregating together. Most every town in Israel would have a synagogue. The one thing that was required for them to have a synagogue was 10 Jewish men. Because that would probably mean that there would be enough people in that town to have a synagogue and to have it run. These synagogues were not just placed in any kind of area or any, any kind of place where they could find an area to have a synagogue. They were placed in the most preeminent places in the towns. Usually in an area that was elevated on a platform, some high place. And the reason they did that is because when they elevated the building and put it on a high place, it, it was symbolizing the importance of living in God's presence. See, synagogue, uh, the synagogue was a very important part of Jewish life. Outside of each synagogue, before they even entered the building, there would be these things called mikvahs. They were basically just these little ritual baths. And those of you who've been to Israel, you, you know that scattered throughout different places, they are their ritual baths. You go into a, a loo, you would see what I would call a water pitcher. You know, I don't know what you'd call it, but I call it a little water pitcher. Usually on a chain attached to the tap. And what it was, it it was so that they could do their ritual washings. You know, the Jewish people back in that day were very much into washing, right? Even the Pharisees got on Jesus all the time about his disciples not washing the hands when they were supposed to according to the rituals. And outside of these synagogues were those wash basins. And so before the worshipers even went into the building, they would wash their hands. Why? Very similar reason as to why the, the priest would wash himself before he went into the holy place. It was symbolically cleansing their heart, preparing themselves to be in the presence of God, preparing themselves for the worship and the things that they would be doing inside the synagogue. Once they got inside the synagogue, it, it wasn't, the seating wasn't like we have here today where all the seating is out in front, and the speakers up on the platform. It was more of a wraparound seating. And so what you'd have is the very important people, most likely the ones with money, they would sit on the benches, and they were called the chief seats. 
you and I, the more common people, when we went in, the, 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 the wealthier folks would sit on the benches, the chief seats, but we, the more common folk, would sit on the ground, just around the outs or the inside of those benches. Then the, the, the speaker, the, maybe the priest or whoever was leading the synagogue worship that day, they would actually stand up on a little platform and in the middle front of the, of the congregation. So picture in your mind, if you would, a building where all the congregants in the assembly, in that synagogue, were kind of wrapped around the speaker. Everybody's focused on the center part of that service. So on Friday night, it would all begin. Each family would go into their home and they would observe the Sabbath meal in their homes. They would go to sleep, and, and about six in the evening, thereabouts, they would, the Sabbath would begin, and then they would go through the entire Sabbath meal. And the next morning, they would all get up and go to the synagogue. The whole community would gather in that place. The service would begin with something called the Shema. Do you know what the Shema is? The Shema is scripture. It's, it's a verse found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And I know that you know it. You just don't realize that you know it. The Shema is this verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Have you heard that verse before? That is the Shema scripture. That would be recited by the congregation at the very beginning of the synagogue worship. Then after they recited the Shema, the, the different... Uh, priests and different liturgical people would bring out the Torah scrolls. They would bring out these Torah scrolls and then different people within the congregation would come and read the pre-appointed pieces of scripture out of the Torah. After the Torah would be brought out and it was read by different people, then they would open the scriptures to the prophets and they would begin to read the prophets. After the reading of the prophets... Then whoever was to speak for that day would stand up in the middle on that little platform called the bima, like the bima seat. He would stand up on that platform and he would bring a sermon. Now, in the synagogue, the sermon was actually the shortest point of the entire service. The, the sermon would be to teach or to speak about the different scriptures that had been read only lasting about five minutes. At the end of the sermon, then someone would get up and give the benediction, the closing prayer, the closing scripture. And it also would come out of Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The end of the service, it would be read. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Why did I read all that to you? Well, it was into that situation that Jesus entered. You know, we, we oftentimes think that when Christ went into the synagogue and he healed people, it's like, oh, the, front, the glass front doors are open and they were probably in there doing their thing and Jesus just walked in and he kind of peered in. He'd see somebody lame or something. He'd go up to him. No, not at all. All of that, man, it would begin on Friday night. Christ would take that 
Sabbath meal with his disciples, and they would prepare their heart and their mind to do what? Go into the synagogue the next morning. And when you read the New Testament, the Gospels, you see that Christ was constantly in the synagogue, either sometimes teaching, giving the sermon, worshiping there, oftentimes healing people on the Sabbath. And for this situation, this place of worship, this this very organized and orderly service of religion that Christ entered into. And I got to thinking, what a wonderful place to serve God, where the people opened up the service quoting the Shema out of Deuteronomy, where they concentrated on the reading of scriptures and the reading of the prophets and then a sermon about what they read, very much like we try to do in churches today. And then they closed with having the blessing of God out of numbers read to them. And Christ enters into this situation. And, and what a per- perfect place and setting to serve God. You have God's people, God's word, and God's presence. And when our compassionate Savior Christ walked into that room, what did he say? What did he think? What did he do? It's nowhere written in scripture that he said, he said, oh, that was a nice orderly service, or that was a, or anything like that. You know what he focused on? He found one man in that entire congregation that was broken. There was a man in there that had a withered hand. Most likely, he was not born that way. Most likely, likely he, he became lame. He became crippled later in life. So I'm thinking he's probably got a family. He's probably got a lot of burdens on his life and, and, you know, got hurt on the job or something and didn't have the NHS, didn't have the system to help him, and he was just there. But you know what he was? He was, he was at the synagogue. He was worshiping God. He was there to give God the glory that is due his name. And only Christ saw him. He had that paralysis in his hand. Injured in life. Though this story is not about that man or his healing, it is very descriptive of many people who come to church even today. The truth is, we all come like this man. We are all broken. Now, we might not have so many great outward issues in our life where people can see, oh, he's, he's lame or he's crippled or he's this or he's that. But every single one of us, we come to this place today, we are broken. We're broken with sin. We're broken in our heart at times. We're broken in our mind. We're broken in spirit. We're broken. And and so many people are around in that synagogue, but yet only Jesus Christ saw the need of that man and intervened in his life. Could there be a better place for the broken to come than into the church of God? Could there be a better place for them to be loved, to find healing, to find acceptance, to find encouragement, to find life, to find truth, to find worship, to find that which they need to to live and carry on from day to day? I, I think about this crippled man. I wonder why he went. Maybe for the same reasons that you and I came or come at times. And our, t- our reasons sometimes change, our desires sometimes change, but we come to find God. We come to be strengthened. We come to be encouraged. We come to grow in our faith. But you know what? We also come to serve. In Christ, he saw this man. 
The church is the place for broken people. The church is the place where those need to come to find healing. Do you you know, if you study the word of God, you will find that it is the call of the church for the broken. One day Jesus had been invited to a meal. And he spoke to the man of the house out of Luke chapter 14. And he said this. He said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends or your brothers or your relatives. Don't ask the rich or or your neighbors, lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But let let the heart of your desire to draw people into your house be not what they can give you back, but what you can give to them. And the Lord said, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Isn't that, shouldn't that be the call of our church today? The call of the church worldwide? Not that we are looking for people who can, who can benefit the church, but we are looking for people who the church can benefit, who the church can be a blessing to, who the church can invest into their lives, who the church can love and bring healing or whatever it is that they need. And the Lord says, and when you do this, you will be blessed Because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And it is this very thing that Christ is trying to relay to the people in the synagogue. And he looks at this man and he wonders, why are they not doing something? Instead of being interested in this broken man, you know what the Pharisees and all the religious people in the synagogue were doing? Keep in mind, they just heard the word of God. They quoted out the Shema. They heard the benediction of the Lord bless you and keep you. They opened up the Torah and the prophets and heard the word of God taught and preached and and, and given to them. And all they could be doing is this. The Bible says that they watched Christ. They weren't like, oh, I wonder what he would do. They were looking at him like this. I wonder if he's going to heal today. I wonder if he's going to mess up the liturgy of our service. I wonder if he's going to, going, going to go against the sub- Sabbath rules of our synagogue and our Sabbath and mess things up by helping that crippled fella in the midst of our synagogue. They watched Jesus not concerned about the man with the shriveled hand. They knew that Christ was in the habit of healing people. And doing good on the Sabbath. See they were supposed to be the ones. That were to be the hand of God. Weren't they? The Pharisees. The religious people. They were to be the ones. That should have been constantly. Reaching out and trying to help the broken. But all they could do. And the way the scripture tells it is. They were sitting back. In their chief chairs. Watching Jesus. As he interrupts. The beautiful worship of that synagogue to intervene in this man's life. And since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. Man, I don't ever want to become such a religious person that my religion oversteps the heart, the truth, the spirit of what my religion is supposed to be. Amen? 
I never want to become so engrossed in the activity of religion that I forget what it's really all about. Christ looked at this man. The Pharisees watched with indignation about what he would do. If he would heal the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. See, the Sabbath rule was you could only attend to someone's physical needs on the Sabbath if their life was threatened. If they had a heart attack, you could give CPR. If they were going to die, you could save their life. But if they were hungry, you couldn't buy them lunch because it would be called working. You couldn't take them someplace to mend their needs or to, to, to help the sores on their feet or to, to, to love on them or to care for them because it would go against the religiousness of that day. This crippled man's life was not in threat, at least not directly. He had to beg for his bread and I'm sure it was difficult for him to supply for his family because he was most likely hurt later in life, and so maybe he struggled. Maybe he would be one of the ones that oftentimes would be out begging alms. For his handicap certainly would have affected the well-being of his family and of himself. The attitude of the Pharisees speaks much to their heart of worship. We often sing the song, Heart of Worship, here. And this speaks much of what their heart of worship was like, or actually, really, what it wasn't like. And I was thinking about these religious Pharisees, all the time they would spend in study, all the time that they would try to get their, their outfit, you know, with the prayer shawl and the clothes and the different things that they wore, how they had to get all of that perfectly right, put everything in its right place, and yet their religion could not actually affect the lives of anyone around them. What a wasted time. What a wasted opportunity for these men. All they could do was look to see if Jesus would do something that they could accuse him of, of saying, that's not right. To destroy his reputation among the people. They couldn't see the need of this man. Oh, our prayer this morning ought to be that our Christianity will never blind us to what our Christianity is really about. And Jesus did something wonderful. They're watching him, and he didn't care. He said to the man with the withered hand, come forth, step forward, come into the middle. Christ is absolutely breaking all the boundaries here. And he says, come into the middle. And Jesus steps forward into the middle with this crippled man, with everybody watching. Could you imagine what it would be like? It would be like something, maybe a homeless man walking in off the street at the end of our service, coming forward. And what would we do maybe? Maybe we'd all stare. Maybe we would all be like, wait a minute. We still have songs of worship to sing. Why is he coming in to interrupt our worship time, our services? What is he doing? We've come here to worship God, not to have the world come into our church and our synagogue and our religious establishment to mess things up. Jesus Christ took that man before it was all finished, 
before they left the synagogue, and he brought him into the middle, and he said, step forth with me. It's wonderful. Jesus was not too busy in worship to meet this man's needs. Think about that. Man, I'm preaching to myself this morning because sometimes I get too busy in my worship, in my studies, in my doing Christianity to stop to actually do Christianity. Jesus was not too busy to, in worship to meet this man's needs. He was not too busy in his own life to invest in this man's life. I think that's probably what connected me to Egal so much. Egal, when he showed those pictures Sunday afternoon, during his testimony, he showed one picture after another of him discipling someone. His idea of discipling, see our idea of discipling is when someone becomes a believer, we walk with them to help them grow in faith, which is true. His idea of discipling is he meets someone that needs to come to Christ, he starts the discipleship process right then and there. With most of the people that he disciples, he meets them every other week. So he's meeting probably somebody every single day nearly to, to disciple them, to bring them to Christ. There was one soldier that he spent two years in discipling before he came to the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what? That's what Jesus is talking about in this text. About investing in people's lives. Not allowing our religiousness, not allowing the, the construct of our services to get in the way of, of really doing what this day is all about. Jesus took the time. He wasn't concerned with what they thought about him. He wanted to ignite something within these religious people. He wanted to, he wanted to make them think. So Jesus says he had this man stand forth in the midst of, of the synagogue he was getting ready to ask a question. Jesus knew they were being watched. How could he not? They were in the middle. The questions and the thoughts and the minds of those that were watching, they were probably thinking, what is he doing? Why is he interrupting our purpose for being here? Our plan. It's the reason that we came. It, it's, the, it's the purpose of this day to sit in this building and be religious and hear the word. And those are good things. Amen? Right? It strengthens us. It builds us up. It educates us. It, it helps us be the Christian that we ought to be when we are under the word of God. Why is he interrupting? Why is he getting in the way to heal this Man, and then we get to Mark chapter 3, verse 4. Verse 4, it is the main text and emphasis of this whole message. And I told you I'd be preaching a little bit different today. I just wanted to walk you through this narrative to give you an idea of what was going on. Because you read Mark 3, these verse, first five verses, you, usually you'll just read through them and move on and think, oh, he healed another guy. Just showing us that Jesus had power to heal. But that's not what this is all about. In verse 4, the Lord asks a question. Now mind you, to understand the implications of the question, you have to remember what, this, what was going on. They were in synagogue. They had all their religious observances. The word of God was read and taught, spoken, and preached. 
They prayed. They, they worshiped God. They glorified the, 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 the Heavenly Father. And then Jesus, as those religious people were so upset and anger, angered with him by getting ready to heal a man, Jesus asks this question that needs to be asked to all believers in Christianity today. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Now that's a rhetorical question. The Lord never expected them to answer and they never did. But listen to what he asked. He said, what is the Sabbath for? Can I ask you a question this morning? What is the day of our worship here today for? And I don't mean just in this building, but I mean the Lord's day. What is it for? What was the point of his question? Can't you imagine the, the Pharisees thinking in their head, Jesus, see, see, this proves to us that you're not who you th- say you are. You're not who what people say you are. You're not the Messiah. Because if you knew what this day was all about, you wouldn't ask the question. This day is about worshiping God. This day is about setting ourselves aside for His glory and His worship, coming into the synagogue and reading the Word of God that was given to Moses. Reading the prophets that were given to us. This was the day that we come to pray and we come to show the world that we are Jews and that we are the chosen people of God. Jesus, this shows you you do not understand what this day is all about. Oh, are those Pharisees in for a shock? No one, when he asked the question, what is the Sabbath day about? Is it about doing good or doing evil? Is it about saving life or killing? Nobody would say that it was lawful to do evil or to kill on the Sabbath. Nobody would do that. So the obvious answer, the obvious alternative is that it must be right to do good and to save life. To heal is to do that which is good. To do nothing, well that is to do evil. That's what Christ was trying to show them. To heal is to save a life. Not to heal, to do nothing, is equivalent of killing. So, merely not doing work on the Sabbath, simply resting as the Law commands. Going to the synagogue or to church. Reciting the Shema. Reading the scriptures. Listening to the sermon. Being encouraged by the prayer at the end. Being involved in the observance of religion. All of that on the Sabbath. On the Lord's day as we call it today. Was not enough. Do you understand what Jesus is saying here? It wasn't enough. The day, this day, the Lord's day, must be used for good, all kinds of good. Now that brings another question. What kind of good is he talking about? Well, you know what, a, a month or so ago, Matt, uh, the, the, the preacher, Matt Fontenot, you know, the guy with the tattoos all down his arm and his, in the big beard, he came here, he was to come here on a Sunday morning and preach. 
It had been about his third time that he was coming, but this time he was bringing his family. And, and he, we talked the day before, and he said, yeah, I'll be there at about 9.30. Well, I thought, well, Matt's wife and kids are coming, and I know how it is to travel with children on a Sunday morning and get them out of their schedule and out of their time frame. It might take a little bit longer, so I thought, well, probably about 9.45. 9.45 showed up, he still wasn't here. And then I thought, hmm, okay, I'll keep an eye on. 9.55 came, and I thought, all right, plan B, go get my saver sermon. Because you know what, you always got a sermon in the rear, right? You always have a message that you're prepared when a guest preacher's coming, because you never know what's going to happen. 10 o'clock came, and I had my sermon pulled up on my iPad. I was ready to go, because he's not here, he hadn't messaged me, I didn't know what was going on, and it wasn't until about handshaking time that they came strolling in over here, sitting down, and I, I, he said, look, look, I'll tell you afterwards, I'm so sorry. Well, actually, what he did, he told us in the sermon. See, on his way to church that morning, there was a car that had broken down, and there was a lady outside her car trying to, you know, with jumper cables and stuff, trying to sort things out, and she was stranded, and I think she kind of looked at Matt as he was driving by, and he pulled over, and they were like, should I stop, should I go, should I stop, should I go? Well, eventually they stopped, and they were late, but you know what they did? They did good. They, they, they helped that lady. I don't think they actually got her car started because something else was wrong and he had to go. But it, they helped her, got her along. Someone else came along and took care of her needs. But I got to thinking about that. Do you know what it is to do good on the Lord's Day? It is to bring grace into people's lives. See, just doing good for good's sake is not enough. What Jesus did is he did good to bring grace and mercy into a man's life. You know what we should be doing with the Lord's day? We should be doing that which is good. Because that's what the Lord's day is all about. It's not just about coming to church. It's about showing grace and mercy into a person's life. It's about intervening into the brokenness of people's lives. It's about loving folks and being concerned with their eternal destiny and loving Christian folks and being concerned with their spiritual growth and investing into their lives. Good things can almost be anything, but the goodest of good things is to bring the glory of God into people's lives. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about. See, the Lord asked them a question. What is this day all about? Is it about saving people's lives? Being involved in people who are broken and bringing them to God? Is it about showing, showing the God to people who do not maybe know the personal impact of the love of God? Christ, Jesus said, what is this day all about? And my question to you this morning is, what is this day all about? It's about coming and worshiping, yes, because Jesus never rebuked them for being there to worship. He was a part of the worship, but he said his worship must go further. It must be about what we do in people's lives. And you know what those Pharisees answered him? Not a single word. They were unable to speak. They couldn't come against the wisdom of Christ. He might be doing things that were out of the traditional norm, but the religious people had no answer for him. Do you know why? Because deep down inside they knew he was right. 
God didn't call his people to come and be isolated in this world. God didn't choose the Jewish nation to isolate themselves from the world. You said, but they did. It's not what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to keep themselves holy. They were supposed to keep themselves pure. They weren't supposed to intermarriage and intermingle in that way. Because when they did, it drew them into the worship of other gods. But you know, it was set from the very beginning that the Jewish nation, the people, the chosen people of God were to be the light of the world. They were the ones to bring the truth of God's saving grace to the entire world. They weren't to isolate themselves. They were to open themselves up to the world and have them come and worship their God. In those synagogues, there were men, women, Children, Jews, and proselyting Gentiles. It means simply there were dogs in the synagogue because they were seeking God himself. Amen? It was all about what the true meaning of the Lord's day was. And it was about people. It was about showing the grace and mercy of God to those who needed it. If those Pharisees had said it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath, they were actually admitting that their rules were no good because to do good meant you had to make an effort, and making an effort could be classified as working, so therefore they would have broken the the Sabbath laws. So they couldn't admit doing good was right because their law was more more important than the spirit and truth of the law. If they had answered any other way, they would be condemning themselves as evil. They chose a religion of ceremony and ritual to that of doing good and saving lives. They wanted a religion that benefited them, even if it burdened the people to death. And you know what? Jesus said, what is this day all about? And they looked and stared at him, dumbfounded and not saying a word, because inside they knew he was right. And he looked at them. And you know what the Bible says? In verse 5. And when he looked at, and when he had looked around at them with anger, grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he wasn't grieved by the lack of church synagogue attendance. He wasn't grieved by the fact that they had done all that they had done in the service. He was grieved because their hearts were so hardened, they actually didn't hear the truth of what was being said. He said to the man that was crippled, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. You know, when it says that the Lord was angry, do you know there's only about three places in Scripture that shows the anger of the Lord? When he cleansed out the temples, and when he looked at the religious people whose hearts were so hard, they didn't understand that the true purpose of the Sabbath was to bring God's grace and mercy to people. Jesus was angered. And this is the most explicit reference in the New Testament of that anger. 
And his anger was not against what was happening in the synagogue. It wasn't against the teaching of Scripture, the worship of God, the falling of the traditional elements of the service. It was against what was not happening. And here was a man who needed help. He needed someone to do something good for him. But whatever the reasons, they did not. And this anger, according to the Greek, when you study it out, it was an anger that was not malicious, but it was an anger full of grief and sorrow. The heart of Christ was breaking that morning in that synagogue because His people could not see the need of others and reach out with their love of God to invest into this man's life. The reason Christ was so grieving and angered over the hardening of their heart was because they were insensitive to God's mercy and human need. What is this saying to us today? It causes us to ask ourselves a very important question. What is this day all about? Is it about, you know, Micah got up this morning and stuck a tie on himself. And, you know, he was sharp, smart looking and, you know, looking great. And is it all about what we wear to church? Is it actually about what we sing at church? Is it about how the church building looks is it about how people come in quietly or noisily or, 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 or however they do? What is this day hall about? It's about the worship of God. It's about the praise of His name. It's about reading His word and seeing what it says to us to impact our life so that we can go out into this world and live out the truth of what we learned here. You know what this day is all about? This day and every day of as a believer in Christ is a day to do good in order to bring grace and mercy into someone's life. Listen, I am for doing good, but I am not for doing good just for good sake. I am for doing good for Christ's sake. We are a small congregation, but there's a some people in our church that have a heart for homeless folks. So they, they had this idea that we'd put some rucksacks together during the winter months and we'd give them out to the homeless people that we see. Now we have one rucksack left and we've tried to give it away three times in the last two weeks. But every time we see them, we came back to get the rucksack and, and Stephen would run over there to give it to him, and by the time he got there, they'd be gone. So we stuck it in our car and we think, all right, once we see you, we'll give it to you. But you know what? We give these rucksacks out not just for the reason of good. We give them out because there's human need that needs to be taken care of. But we give them out because there's a spiritual need that's greater than the human need that needs to be taken care of. And inside that rucksack is the Word of God and some gospel literature. And we tell them where it comes from and we tell them why we're giving it to them. And we show them the love of Christ. You know what Jesus is saying to the church of God today? He's asking us a question. What is this day all about? And it's about this, doing good for grace and mercy's sake. We as a congregation of believers ought to be emphatically, passionately, aggressively, 
energetically and tirelessly doing that which is good to bring God and man together. Until he returns or until this dusty body disintegrates into the ground, that is the mission of the church and that is what Jesus is telling them there that day at the synagogue. What is it all about? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? Ultimately, it is about doing the good of the gospel. The purpose of the day was not to heal. It was to show the mercy and grace of a loving God for a broken man. The purpose of the day is not to have an orderly, perfect service, but to have a service that worships God, but also makes evident His mercy and grace that was shown to us so that we can show it to others. The Lord's heart was grieved, not because they were missing church. They were there, but they were actually missing it. It was not because they compromised the scriptures. I mean, they were reading the word of God. It was not because they were not worshiping. They would sing psalms and they would sing unto the glory of God and they would do all those things. It was because actually they forgot the whole point of the day. To come into that place ready to show the grace of God. To come into that day. Because do you, do, you, do you see what he said? He said, what's the Sabbath about? He didn't ask him, what is synagogue attendance about? He asked him, what is this day that you set aside for God really about? It's about what we do for him to others in part. This is not the one-off only thing. But this is the Lord's day, right? What are we doing in the Lord's day? In the book of Galatians, Paul wrote... A verse that was one of the very first ones that I ever memorized. And it was this. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Do you know why I wrote that? You know why Paul penned those, that verse? See, Paul was writing and instructing the Christians of Galatia. To do a number of specific things within their church and their congregation. It was to, to expel agitators, the false teachers that were bringing in wrong doctrine. He told them to love their neighbors. He told them to manifest the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. He wrote to them to practice church discipline. He, he wrote to them so that they would bear each other's burdens. He said for them to examine themselves spiritually. He told them how to provide for those who, who, who shepherd over them. And then he closed that letter with that verse. And let us not grow weary while doing good. All those things and more. For in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. You know what he was in essence saying? Doing the good in this sense is the same as fulfilling the whole law of Christ. 
And to those Pharisees that day, if they really wanted to fulfill the law of God, what they would do was take the spirit of the truth and see with eyes that God had given them spiritually the needs of people and to go forth and meet the needs of people by bringing grace and mercy into their life. My call and your call is to not simply feed the poor with bread or whatever, but it is to feed the poor and hungry soul of living human beings with the knowledge of Christ so that they can be filled with his purpose and his calling so that they could have the opportunity to be saved. Church, why are we here today? To sing? Yes. To hear the word of God? Yes. To fellowship together? Yes. To teach the children about the things of God? Yes. To do all the things that the Bible tells us to do within a church? Yes. But let us not forget what this day is ultimately about. It's about you and I living our life to do that which brings life to the world. Amen? So church, let's do it. Let's get busy. Today, look for those in need. Today, ask the Lord. Egal said to me Sunday or Monday, uh, we were laughing at the beef eater, and he said, you know, every morning I wake up and I ask God to direct me to the person that I can invest my life in that day. I don't know about you, but I want what Egal has, amen? So let us ask the Lord, what would you have us to do today? Church, let us do good. Let us rise up and eff with effort do good. And when we're tired, let us do good. And when we're not, not happy, when we're discouraged, let us do good. Why? Because that is what Jesus did. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.